0: This Sunday, we're going to start a look through the book of 1 Peter. Um, We're going to take a few weeks off of it at points such as Easter Sunday, uh, if we're still in it when we get to say something like a Mother's Day, something like that. Uh, But for the foreseeable future, we're going to walk through this letter from Peter. And right off the jump, I want to say something, that this letter deals with some issues that you might use the word controversial or at the very least cause discussion amongst uh, Christians, amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. My goal throughout this whole thing is not to present my viewpoint. My goal is to present what the Bible says. Now, I like to think that my viewpoint is what the Bible says, or more that what the Bible says is my viewpoint. And I hope to show you how I think on certain things based out of what the scriptures say. But there's another reason why I want to say this, because I want to invite discussion. Obviously not on a Sunday morning when I'm speaking, only because you'll just throw me off for this massive loop, and we'll never get back to where we were. But I invite you guys to to ask me questions afterward, to ask people. There are many people in this room who are wiser than I am in spiritual matters. To ask them to talk to each other and have these discussions. Because unlike what our culture kind of says, discussion is not bad. But discussion with animosity is. And so I invite you guys to talk to me, talk to each other. and, And as we walk through these issues that Peter presents... And we're going to talk about one of them just briefly today because he doesn't spend a ton of time on it. So the idea of predestination. Peter comes straight out and talks about it right in the beginning of this letter. So we're going to because it's there. So let's dive into this. First Peter 1 verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter 1 verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." Now, I fully admit that this is a passage of Scripture longer than what I will normally preach on. I generally try to keep it at 8 verses to 10 verses, 6, right around that time frame, that verse frame, whatever. It's just a little longer than that. But we're not going to spend a ton of time on verses 12 and 11, so it's really only 10 verses. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on the first two verses, so it's really only 8 verses, But it's just that it it didn't work. When I looked at it and broke it down, it didn't work to not have it as one section. So that's why we're going to look at it. So let's dive right into it. This isn't your first bullet point yet. We'll get there. I'll tell you when we're there. But the first two verses, Peter starts off with your general greeting for a letter. You state who you are, Peter. You state what is your authority or who are you? What are you under? An apostle of Jesus Christ Paul, in his letters, would usually say something like a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Paul liked to convey the fact that he was a slave, that he belonged to Christ. Peter, in this letter, conveyed something just a tiny bit different, that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Still a slave, still a bond servant, but he carries just a tiny different connotation to it. That's your normal greeting. And then you say, who are you writing to? To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bithia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Peter doesn't write in Asia and Bithia who are allowed in because of their own choices. See, here's the thing, church. And this is really kind of an important thing to understand because the bulk of this passage talks about, and it's the title of the sermon, assure salvation. The bulk of this section talks about how your salvation is secured. And one of the reasons your salvation is secured is because you didn't choose your salvation. God chose it before the foundations of the earth. Thousands of years ago, plus, because time really didn't kind of exist the way we think of it before God created it, So who knows how long ago, really, God looked down and said, in 1994, on September 9th, at 945, Samuel David Brush is going to be born. He's going to be mine. I don't know why he chose me. I know of people in this very county who are better singers than I am, who are better orators than I am, who could be a better shepherd of a flock of people than I can be. But for some reason, he chose me. And for some reason, he chose you. If you don't believe me, if you're sitting there going, well, I don't think that's what it says, take a few moments after church today, and maybe this week, go read Romans 9. Go read Ephesians 1 and 2. Because Paul, in those passages, doesn't leave it up for debate. You were chosen. It's not just for a long time I believe that God didn't choose, but he knew. Right? The foreknowledge of God. He knew I was going to get saved, but He didn't choose for me to get saved. Until one day, when I was a sophomore in college in a Romans class, and my professor smacked me in the face with Romans chapter 9 and said, How do you dispute this? You were chosen. It's an incredible thing because it means that God chose me. I didn't choose Him, which means there's nowhere I can go. I don't have a choice in the matter. God knew that at five years old, I was going to get saved. He knew it, and he chose that I would do it. Now, you also might be sitting there asking yourself, well, pastor, how can a gracious and loving God do that? How could he choose some and not others? Great question, except it's not. Because here's the thing. We look at things from a human viewpoint. We look at mercy and grace from a human viewpoint, and we look at it and say, if God is merciful and gracious, he should save everyone. God looks at it and says, because I chose to save one. I am merciful and gracious because justice says I should save nobody because you all turned your backs on me. You all turned your back on me and sinned against me. So justice says I shouldn't save any of you. Justice says I should allow each and every one of you to be eternally tormented in hell. Mercy says I'll save some. I don't know how the selection process went. I'm not nearly as intelligent as God is, but it happened, and he chose me and he chose you. We need to look at it from that viewpoint. So that's the one big thing to take out of the section and it's literally a few verses or a few a few sentences not even, but it's truth that we can anchor in. Why? Let's dig into the rest of this. Number 1, his great mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again has caused us to be born again. Again, there's that thing where it wasn't our choice, it was his. He caused us to be born again, and it is his great mercy that did it. His great mercy allowed us in. If you look at verse 4, here's the thing. This is a sure salvation. Now we're digging into what uh, people like to call eternal security. told you, there's some stuff in this one. Here we go. Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. I'm here to tell you, church, that if and when God chose you, and you come to a saving knowledge of him, not in your head, but in your heart, your salvation is sure. There is nothing that can separate you from God. Height, depth, angels, demons, none of it, everything else Paul lists in that verse. There is nothing that can separate you from God. If you say to yourself that this salvation, I can walk away from it and I can be done with it, you are saying God is not powerful enough. I don't want to be rude, but that's what you're saying. You may not think you're saying that. But you're saying God is not strong enough. God is not powerful enough. I can override the will and power of God, and you cannot do it. And it says it right there in verse 4 this inheritance, which is imperishable. And in verse uh, 7, we're going to see that he compares it to something that is perishable. It's undefiled, and it will not fade away. Why? Verse 5 protected by the power of God. This salvation in you is protected by God himself and there is nothing in all of creation that can stand against god and since god is the only thing outside of creation there's nothing left to stand against him your salvation is protected because of it you can't lose it i'm here to tell you church that if satan is whispering in your ear saying you have done so many bad things you've gone so far you keep doing this you keep living in this sin god doesn't love you this salvation he's gonna what no that's not how it works." Because God is the one that assures your salvation, not you. It doesn't rest in your hands, it rests in His. I also want to say that it is okay if, in a moment of doubt, you just say, Father, I know you saved me, but I need some reassurance right now. So I'm just asking you, be my Savior. That is okay to do. When I was 16 years old, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I got saved at the age of five. When I was 16 years old and I was finally baptized, I asked God to be my Savior, to be the Lord and King of my heart. Now, I had already done it. My salvation was assured. If I had died anywhere between those 11 years, I would have gone to heaven. But I needed the assurance for myself to know. Here's another thing. We've talked about this with a few different things. It's okay to have something physical to remind yourself. Wear a ring. Wear a necklace. Keep something in your wallet. Drive a stake into the ground somewhere so that each time Satan whispers in your ear, you have something to go, no, 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 no. I know, this is the day that I did it and it's not on me, it's on God. I gave it to him. Now you may ask yourself as well with this idea of a sure salvation, what about the people that we think are saved, right? They live the good life and everything like that, but they don't end up going to heaven. Or, what about the people, Pastor, who for 10, 15, 20, 30, however many years, they live the, the Christian life and they're praising God on a Sunday morning and they're, oh, they read in their Bible every day. But then one day, you know what? They just decide they're done with it and they walk away, never to be seen again. Didn't they lose their salvation, Pastor? No, they didn't. See, here's two things. First off, if they were truly saved, they're going to be in heaven and they're going to answer for what they did. They'll still be in eternity with us, but they're going to answer for what they did. But two, I don't know about you, but I could never walk away from God. I know what I am without him. I know what my life looked like when I was running from him. And I know what the love and peace and joy, and we're going to talk about joy here in a second, of God feels like. I don't want to go anywhere else. Like you, I've walked through some hard things, and I've never once wanted to walk away from God. Wanted to walk away from ministry? but not from God. And I firmly believe that if you are truly saved and you know that joy and you know that peace and you know that salvation, you won't walk away. And so I would say that person was probably never actually saved. Maybe they grew up in church and so they just kind of knew the motions and didn't really think about getting saved because when they were three years old, they prayed a prayer in children's church or whatever and that counted. They didn't have a heart change, but you know, they're praying a prayer. But your salvation is sure if you, if you have accepted him. Let's look at number two here. Greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. I'm here to tell you something, guys. Peter says, if necessary with these trials, they are necessary. Why? In verse seven. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you walk through trials and tribulations, when you walk through that fire and are tested by that fire, and you come out the other side, God receives praise and honor and glory. God receives it. And so you're going to walk through them. That's just life. I'm sure you all know this already, so this won't be a big truth bomb, but life sucks. I woke up this morning, and somehow in the night, I pulled a muscle in my leg. I don't know how, but for two hours, I could barely walk. It's good now. It worked itself out. I'm 24 years old. You're gonna face it. I'm not saying that's this great trial. I didn't I didn't fall on my knees before God begging him to take this thorn from my flesh, but it's just the way it is. You're going to face trials and tribulations. I talked a few weeks ago about getting a flat in my tire, got that fixed, and literally two weeks later, got another flat in a different tire, but another flat. That's called discouragement. It's a trial you've got to walk through, and we all face it. We all face things like that. You're going to face them, but when you do, they bring honor and glory to God, and there's nothing greater than that. Your whole purpose, my whole purpose, our whole purpose is to bring glory and honor to God. That's why we're here. Everything, all of creation is supposed to scream the honor and glory to God. I'm going to be honest with you, even his enemies, Satan and his demons, give glory and honor to God when you stand and resist them. So even though they are trying to undermine, they end up doing exactly what they were created to do. I love it. And then the last thing for this one. Verse 7 says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Think about this. In our world, gold really isn't that important. Like, we like gold. Gold's nice. Have a gold necklace or ring or whatever, it's nice. But in our culture, gold isn't the end-all be-all. But back then, it was. Gold was one of the things that showed how wealthy that you were. And that's perishable. Here's what Peter is saying. Your faith is more important than whatever the world puts its importance on. The thing that the world says is the single most important thing, your faith, your salvation is more important than it. That thing's perishable by gold. You put gold in a fire, if you put a brick of gold in your campfire, it's probably not going to melt. It's not hot enough. But if you take that brick of gold and put it in an inferno, in a furnace, it melts away. It's perishable. What Peter is saying here is that when you walk through these trials, And you're walking through that inferno. It blasts away everything. But your salvation and faith is still there. When you get out the other side, to be frank, you may have lost friends. You may have lost money. You may have lost health. You may have lost everything that this world puts value on. But your faith will still be there. That's what Peter's saying. Lastly, number three. Salvation is ours. Salvation is ours. From 10... Verses 10 and 11, what we see is that salvation, this idea of a savior, of a messiah, was sought for centuries. Isaiah, as he wrote, saw, or not Psalm, as he wrote Isaiah 51 or 53, as he wrote his letters about this coming messiah, he was searching for the answer of who he was. Here's the great thing that I love verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Here's the truth, real quick. The Bible was not written to you. This letter, 1 Peter, was not written to you. You are not an alien scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, or Bithynia. Now, that doesn't mean the truths and the principles don't apply to you. But this letter was not written to you. We looked a few weeks ago, though, at John 17, where Christ did pray for you. And right here it says, but to you. And yes, Peter is talking about these aliens, but he was talking about you as well. Now, he didn't think of Millard Hall when he wrote this. I don't think. Maybe he did. But he was talking about you as well. You in mind, with the people in mind who would know the Savior. And yes, maybe we don't, as we saw earlier, know him physically. We don't know him. We don't see him yet. But we love him and we trust and we believe in him nonetheless. That's what real faith is. If Jesus was standing right here, it wouldn't take any faith to believe in him. It doesn't take any faith to believe that I'm your pastor. I'm here. It takes real faith to believe in something that isn't there. Not isn't there because Jesus is here. Isn't visible. And lastly, something angels long to know. I wanted to end with this. One, because it's not really a sermon in of itself unless you're preaching a sermon on angels. But it's just a tidbit of information that I find incredibly fascinating. I don't know about you, but I consider angels to be a step above me, right? If we go in the hierarchy, there's God above all creation, then there's angels, then there's humans, and then you can go everything else, whatever you want to put those in order, whatever. I like cats, so they'd be higher than other things. Chinese food would rank up there too. But I always think, right, of angels as just a step above us. They're different than us, incredibly different than us, but a step above us. But here's the thing. You and I have something no angel can ever have, and that is the grace and mercy of God. You see, angels, way back when, made their choice. A third of them chose to follow Satan. Two-thirds of them chose to follow God. Their choice was made. There's no salvation for the third that fell. They are facing eternal damnation, and there's no way out for them. There's a way out for you. And it says here, things into which angels long to look. We get to sing praises to God because of his grace and mercy. And they can sing those praises. right? They can praise God that he is gracious and merciful, but they don't know what it feels like. They don't know what it feels like to be in the pit, to be in the depth, to think that there is no way out and to see a savior reaching his hand out to pull you out of it. They don't know what it's like to know that Christ died on the cross for them because he didn't. He died on the cross for you and me angels have powers i will never have angels have a responsibility i don't have but they long to look into what i do have because it is the most incredible thing in all of creation it is the single greatest thing to ever happen god saved his greatest gift for us not for his not his favorites but his his number ones because I like to think we humans are his favorites. But he saved his greatest gift for us. And it's just something angels long to look at. And I just find that so fascinating. Angels will always be smarter than I am. They have a different relationship than God, with God than I do. But they can never have what I have. Now I'm not going to get to heaven and be like, Haha, I'm here. <laughs> we'll be too busy doing other stuff. But I just find that so interesting. And I find it so interesting that the Bible leaves us with just little, little tidbits like that. If you weren't looking at that, you never you would just look at that and go, "Oh, ain't just long to look. Cool. There we go. But no, that's an incredible truth that God saved his greatest gift for you and for me. the biggest present on Christmas. You remember, right? Well, on Christmas morning, you always wanted to know who got the big one? Who got the big one? We got the big one. So the next time that Satan's whispering in your ear, and trust me, he does he does to me too. And he's asking you to doubt and he's telling you to doubt. Look at this and go, no, 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 my salvation is assured because I'm not the one holding on to it. God's the one holding on to it. He doesn't let anything slip from his grasp. See, God doesn't make it oopsie. He just doesn't. And he didn't make a mistake with you. He chose you. Ephesians says, before the foundations of the earth, he chose you. Thousands of years ago. He thought of you and said, he or she, they're going to be mine. I don't know why he chose me. I don't know why he chose you. He sure did, though. And that lets me know that when I get to heaven, I won't have to wonder if I'm getting through those gates. Because I don't have to have a card that I hand. Jesus' blood is just going to be spilled all over that. I'm just going to walk right through. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you. We thank you that we have this sure salvation. That it doesn't rest on us. It rests on you you and there is no one or nothing greater to rest our faith on to rest our hope on you are the one that allows us to come and not just allows but you chose me father thank you for choosing me i don't know why you chose me i'm not going to sit here and lie and say i'm not a good singer i know i am or not a good orator i know i am but i know there are people better than me and every time i start to think that i'm the best you send somebody in my path that's way better than I am just to humble me a little bit. So I don't know why you chose me, but you did, and I thank you that you did. I don't know why you chose the people in this room, but I thank you that you did. And I thank you that you are continuing to choose people. God, help us to know and to, and to speak your truth, and thank you for that salvation. God, shut up the devil when he whispers in our ear with this truth. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen. And amen.